the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. And Barton, I miss you, man. I'm, I'm, I, it's only been a week. And thank you so much to all of you who listened to our uh, our LSU Clemson preview show. It was one of our, uh, our most trafficked shows of the fall. So when you're really pouring it in for the national championship game and you're trying to get all your takes out, uh, it's, it's rewarding to see that it was uh, well downloaded and listened to. Uh, as always, the mailbag is open. And on Monday, we will be recording a little bit of a mailbag segment. And depending on your questions, that'll depend on how long it goes. You can do that by going to the Cover 3 podcast, leave us a five-star review. And in that review, leave your question for the mailbag. Uh, we will be getting to mailbag questions on Monday. Uh, you know, they can be on the season as a whole. They can be off the uh, off the radar, uh, or even you know, maybe you've got a suggestion for the Cover Three Podcast Book Club because uh, we got to start targeting when we're going to get into that as well. So it's off season, it's time to start reading. Yeah, it's off season, time to start reading. Season for reading. Barton, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm still. So I had the flu last week, and it's it's. Uh, turned into just a purely a cough so there may be a couple disruptions over the course of this of, of coughing fits but aside from that i think i'm uh, you know it's like that end of the season just grind just like you start to fall apart just from the all the all the two hour reaction to 2 a.m reaction pods on saturday nights uh you know and and all the the long days and you know hopefully by the time february hits and signing day hits and i'll be fully recovered you are uh, you are deeply embedded amongst college coaches watching the national championship game. So I guess just to to lead things off, any anything that stood out to you about the game itself, or even some of the coaches' reactions to what they were watching on uh, down in New Orleans. <coughs> Excuse me. No, I mean I, I think um, the only thing like I watched, I, I was watching the game in a um, kind of a semi-private event um with a with a lot of coaches there and you know their tvs up and everyone was eating and like kind of watching the game at the same time i i just thought it was fun to kind of you know we're all like it's fun to sit here and you think words these you kind of fan out and you're just in awe of some of the throws and some of the plays and some of the the things that these guys do on the field it was just it was kind of fun to be amongst major college coaches who were just kind of ooing and eyeing just like the normal, you know, sports bar fans, you know, like all those guys are in awe of what Joe Burrow is doing. All those guys are in awe of, of the throws Trevor Lawrence can make and the, the runs that Clyde Edwards E. Lair can make and, and Jamar chase and, and what he can do out there. And so, uh, I, you know, there was, I, I don't know that I was like coming away with any like crazy, um, x's and o's stuff because it wasn't that would really wasn't what the environment was like but it was it was still i thought fun and interesting to watch it and uh and just see the collective reactions from everybody as the game played out we do get uh that is one thing that i think sometimes there are there's like the nick saban who goes into the uab game being like well, this is the best team that we've played all year. But I do feel like some coaches, when they're talking about opponents right after they've been watching film, that's where I feel like we do get to see a little bit of that fandom that you got to experience live when it's like, oh, in 17, good golly. You got you to gotta keep your eyes on him. Like this, you can tell that in, in film rooms and stuff like that, they, they do click back into that same where if you're just a fan of the game of football, 
what LSU and, and Clemson have been doing, not just in the national championship game, but all damn season has been something that's just got to get, got to get you going. Like it's got to be a little almost aspirational for some of the coaches in that room to be like, okay, well, if this is the standard, then we, we, we got to get to work. If we're going to be able to, to set our sights on that, like this, this was so funny because I, I almost wondered if this was the year that, that fully flipped me over because I, I'd noticed over the, the time that you and I've been podcasting together, you have been, uh, open arms towards, uh, you know, embracing the modern quarterback, embracing the modern offense. Um, you know, you recognize that there is value to, to run in the dang ball and, and sort of what I would almost call like Kirby ball, you know, for until, until Georgia opens it up, I'm gonna call it Kirby ball, whatever. <laughs> um, but that like, this was a game where, you know, for, for all of the ideas about having balance, I just, I don't think Right now, moving forward, until the pendulum swings the other way, any team should expect that it can win a national championship without elite quarterback play and a dominant passing attack. Like, I just, I think that we've gone, we, we've sort of crossed over the threshold, and in my mind, I ran it back to uh, Jacob Coker, and I was like, I think Jacob Coker was the last pretty good quarterback to win a national championship and from here on out you you got to have a stud yeah I, and I, I kind of got that sense as as I not not just during the game but just sort of in talking to coaches at the convention and, and talking to coaches that are at programs that are close but aren't quite the the you know the top four or whatever whatever you have um the just the idea of like they like they like when when we all sit around and we look at team x and we're like oh man if only they had a quarterback um the you know the coaches in that building have to you know publicly be behind that guy and then publicly be show confidence in that guy but privately in anytime we can see that the quarterback doesn't have it the coaches can see the quarterback doesn't have it too and i agree like we're at it this is this is a generation of, of football and I don't know, you could probably make a case that it's, that it's bad. Like it's, you know, could, could, could Ken Dorsey, regardless of who's around him, win a college football national championship in, in 2020, uh, as good as Miami was, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, we, we call Miami the best team of all time in a lot of, in a lot of cases that, that Ken Dorsey team. I don't know if Ken Dorsey can carry you to a national title in this modern day of, of offenses and given who he would have to play against and how talented those teams would be. And so I, I think it's, a, it, it's, it's absolutely apparent and, and it's just sort of present um, among college, the college coaching community. is like, look, we don't have a quarterback. we got to get a quarterback. Um, and, and if you do have a quarterback, then you got a chance. I mean – Brent Venables ran a three one seven, and it took Joe Burrow about a quarter and a half, but he still ended up throwing for four hundred and sixty three yards, five touchdowns, and zero interceptions against seven defensive backs. That's insane. Stupid. It's insane. <laughs> he was like, so cold blooded too, just being like, "Yeah, you know, we struggled a little bit, but once we figured out what they were doing, we were good." But as good as I mean, as good as Joe Burrow is, and I, I think that was the best quarterback season I've ever seen. Um, and and as good as he is, man, Jamar Chase is is making a, a an NFL cornerback look like a scrub out there. Oh, AJ Terrell. I mean, yeah, like that's. I mean, that's that is what. I mean, that's ultimately what what LSU because LSU the story of this LSU team is is going to in some ways get kind of distilled down to the Joe Burrow story, but that's never what this is or was. I mean, this is Joe Burrow coming in and igniting this sick roster. Um, and, uh, and, and like those guys really showcase that, that night as well. I mean, Clyde Edwards, Elaire, good grief. Some of the plays he made too. Like it's just a, it's just a, it's just such a loaded team. Uh, Ed Odron did. I mean, he's, He's not ducking that. He said, "A right place, right time." 
He said, I, you know, I'm just very lucky to be here with Dave Aranda and Joe Brady and Joe Burrow and, you know, just sort of identifying just the, the perfect combination of right place, right time. And I think that it is going to be uh, a perfect right place, right time because Barton, 2020 LSU ain't going to look like 2019 LSU. Go. <laughs> well, this is what it's all about. I mean, we, this is, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, throw cold water on on the LSU 2019 season like it's it like we need to bask in this as much as we can because it was awesome it was fun it was it was it was magical and um this uh, just amazing year in so many different ways but the the sobering reality is is that Ed Ogeron did catch lightning in a bottle and he's going to have to catch lightning in a bottle again next year. Like it's not, he is, he is, he is now going up against the ultimate test of he's got like, what, what is it? Like seven guys leaving early at this point. Um, Joe Brady is gone. Joe Burrow is gone. And now as we sit here on Thursday at one fifteen central time, Dave Aranda is emerging as the, the lead candidate for the Baylor head coaching job. And so all of a sudden, the challenge of this, of the sustaining, which is, you know, Dabo Sweeney is the only coach sort of in in the last decade that's shown he can do it, um, do what Alabama and Nick Saban have done in that regard. Now it's now it's Ed Ogeron's turn to, to prove he can do it. He's gonna have, you know, gonna have to place both coordinators, you know, at least a co-coordinator on offense, potentially. You know, Dave Aranda could fall apart, and he's gonna have to reload this insane crop of talent and he's got to find a new quarterback that's some critical critical pieces there yeah lloyd cushionberry one of the best offensive linemen on that group he's going to be gone justin jefferson has already announced that he's going to be gone what are we losing both uh we've got caleb on jason's gone uh grant delpit i'm not sure if he's announced it officially yet but he's i I would assume he's gone um Clyde Edwards Delpit's is gone. gone. Grant Delpit's gone. Sadiq Charles, the left tackle's gone. Jacob Phillips and, and Patrick Queen, the, the linebackers are both gone. I mean, a lot you, of dudes. I, I mean, I guess that you've you've kind of got to after you've taken that cash from Odell Beckham, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, so, all right. So so what about that? Like, because my 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 joke, uh, when asked about it, has been I don't I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't see anything. You know, I don't know. can't mistake me for a snitch um but and then of course there's also now uh an arrest warrant issued for odell beckham for simple battery for patting a police officer or slapping a police officer on the tush in the locker room and that's a whole other sort of thing but i i i sort of chalk a lot and i chalked a lot of this up with odell beckham and but the first part of it before we got to the arrest warrant was that it was kind of on brand for LSU and especially LSU in New Orleans like just fast and loose and up tempo and having fun and not really giving an f's like this is the this is the LSU school that has a men's basketball program where its head coach was suspended after being caught on an FBI wiretap reportedly discussing payment for a player. And you know who's coaching back on the sideline right now, Barton? Will yeah. Wade, the men's basketball coach. Like, this is just a little bit, uh, a, just a little bit on brand for for sort of the LSU. Like, if you're going to do it, we're doing it all the way, and we're not really going to be worried about this. So they come out with the first statement that's like, oh, we, we think it might be fake money. Then, you know, Joe Burrow has some comments on the Pardon My Take podcast, and you're able to review the video footage and see that, oh, well, uh, it was probably not fake money, and then it becomes all this other dumb thing. I I, I ask you, do you – where where is your, your level of care or where's your level of concern as it pertains to – whether anything at all might come of this. Well, look, the the like like I'm not concerned with sort of amateurism being compromised. I, like I hope that I don't, I don't even have to say that. Like I don't care if these guys get money. 
And I also don't even think that it's going to be a big deal. Like, I don't think the NCAA wants to make this a big deal. I don't think, like, all, all this boils down to is this is a, a pain in the ass for the compliance department right now. But here's, like, my, my, my new, like, passion that I found over the last year or two is, like, uh, this aspiring, like, take police deputy and just where I just sort of critique takes on news items and a take that I am heavily against that is just a bad take is the, oh, NCAA, don't you have something better to do than to come in and and ruin a great night with LSU by, by you know, getting with the compliance department and, and trying to punish these players? No, that's the wrong take. The right take is Odell Beckham Jr., who was, like, ironically – this really humble, hardworking, quiet guy in high school and even through college who has just found out that he just loves being the center of attention now goes out there in the center of the field with the cameras all around him and makes a big show of handing these guys this money that he knows they're not going to be able to keep, that he knows is going to make a pain, create issues for the compliance department and for LSU. And look, if he really wanted those guys to have money, he could easily give them money by just handing them money like quietly in the side, just so it's not a big deal. But like because he did it the way he did, these guys aren't going to get that money, and they got to give it back or whatever. And then he goes in the locker room and he's slapping the ass of the uh, of the uh, police officer, and now he's getting an arrest warrant out for him. It's like this dude is really just a child. He's just trying to make the national championship game about him, and that's what annoys me. It's like, man, you're an alum. I don't care who you are. Like this is the, these guys' game to come out and just like. Like enjoy it, and you're just trying to to make it about them or about you. I mean, and it's just a, it's just like annoying as much as anything. Like let's just enjoy like Joe Burrow and Grant Delpit, and let those guys like be, be act a clown if they want to because they earned it. You didn't do anything, Odell. Andy Staples was trying to interview Lloyd Cushenberry in the locker room. Odell Beckham just walks up and hits stop on his voice memo or little recorder. I mean, he was just yeah, it's ridiculous. He's a uh, it was a it was a lot, but my like I said, I didn't see anything. I don't know what you're talking about. I was there, boy. I missed it. Mm, <laughs> tough. Can't be calling me into court. Can't mistake me for a snitch. I look the Michael Felder came out right when this thing started to explode, and I loved what he said. Uh, the the response from the jump should have been, "We gave him the money back in the locker room. Prove otherwise." Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. all dealing in cash here. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> and I mean, yeah, it's you get got a lot of cash on you. It's New Orleans. It's just a it's a cash place. It's not a it's not a big deal. Like it's just annoying. Like that's, I don't know, you're just doing it on camera, making a big scene about it, and you don't want those guys to have that money. You just want everyone to look at you handing them that money. Because if you wanted them to have that money, you could have you could have given them a thousand dollar wad in the locker room quietly, and man, then then we're really dapping it up and like fired up. Man, you're my guy. All right, no, like this is just about you. Get out of here, man. It's not your show. Do you think that uh, as we sit here, Dave Aranda is the leading candidate for Baylor? Do you think that Dave Aranda? Do you think that LSU's defense will be able to? Um, play at a high SEC championship contention level without Dave Aranda and without some of the departures. And then I guess the second part of that would be <coughs> Dave Aranda, who I agree with you. Um, didn't weren't you the one who came out and was like Dave Aranda is just like a little bit of a different dude, not in a bad way, but when you try to think about like top defensive coordinators in the country then you listen to Dave Aranda speak and you listen to him sort of talk about stuff and it, it comes across as a much more calm and like controlled and thoughtful sort of conversation versus like what you would get from Todd Grantham. Uh, what, what would you, how would you forecast the, the Dave Aranda to Baylor? I don't know. I, I just worry about him as a recruiter. If, if that's, if, I mean, if this goes to Baylor, I mean, I think he's a, his reputation is just sort of this mad scientist, um, and I think it's well earned. I mean, he's one of the best D coordinators in the country. There's no question. I just the the question to me is is what you know what is he going to be as a recruiter, as the face of the program? Um, 
is he gonna is he gonna emphasize recruiting in the right way and, and in an effective way and so that's that's like you know he's at LSU as a coordinator he has to recruit but as a coordinator he's sort of more the closer and he's got this head coach that's out that's you know 100, 100 miles an hour as as a as a recruiting coach and so that's that's the unknown I think that's the risk and so like if you're Baylor that's what you have to get comfortable with to me. I mean, there's there's no there's no doubting his football chops, um, and you know Baylor is the type of place that Matt Rule proved that if you have the right approach from a recruiting standpoint, you don't have to just go out and win battles. You just have to evaluate the right way. And so, you know, to the, to that point, maybe it's a, a nice fit. Um, but this is going to be really interesting. And, and and like in terms of how else you could or would respond, that's going to be an interesting coordinator search. That's going to be a big domino. I mean, that LSU is just got. I mean, they got two and a half million dollars to spend if they want to. Who are they going to go out and try to get? Who can they get? Um, I don't know. This coordinator stuff is is really fascinating. Um, before we're going to get to uh, some of the coordinator movement here in just a second, but what do you make of the Baylor search? Because when I saw Justin Fuente tweet this morning, uh, the the shot of him and the entire coaching staff excited for 2020 let's go get it uh billy napier you know backing out i i don't know if i viewed that as justin fuente backing out as much as necessarily baylor maybe chose not to offer fuente the job yeah i I never know what to make of this stuff and i mean because it could have been the same thing with napier because i was under the impression that napier wanted it um and I mean the the Virginia Tech one is that's that's a little bit of a lateral move, isn't it? I mean that that was that one was that's why that one was a little bit. Well, right. just, it, Fuente's it, got some sort of history regionally, I guess, geographically. Oh there. man, and and the the worst thing happened because Fuente entertained it. It was broadcast that he entertained it, and there was a segment of the Virginia Tech fan base that said, "Fine." Yeah, and that's the worst. Like yeah. that, that is when things get really shaky for you moving forward because to, to, to have a fan base be really apathetic, starting to put together a wish list and not even that heartbroken at the idea of you leaving, that shows that you don't have the, the full support of the fan base. Now, listen, are you surprised that it, that, it, that, that, there, that apathy is what bubbled up? Yes, I am. I, I'm a little surprised too, only because of the way this year ended. Uh, they really, they seem like they really straightened that out. Yeah. I don't know. It's he, he does. He's not the, he, he's not beloved and it's so hard, right? Because Virginia tech had one coach that was beloved for, you know, from 1987 to 2012 or 2011. Then, uh, Justin Fuente comes in and, in his first two years, wins 19 games, wins the ACC Coastal Division Championship, takes Clemson all the way down to the wire in the ACC Championship game in Charlotte. Clemson wins that game 42-35. to 35. You're thinking, oh, yeah, we got the right hire. We made the right transition. And each of the last two years, I mean, you're right. This year finished strong, and there was a great narrative about Virginia Tech turning it around, but it... It seems like the the Virginia Tech fan base is a little bit wary of um, Justin Fuente, and so now it's like that is probably one of the I'm not going to call it a hot seat, but I'm going to call it one of the ten most interesting coach fan relationships that I'm tracking going into next season. Sure, but yeah, but I I mean I guess we expect Virginia to be de- Virginia Tech to be decent this year um you know caleb fairley's coming back and then hooker obviously he'll be back there's uh i mean they they, they kind of made it through the storm in a way that's why did, did you notice the um the media um the media favorite of sort of starting to push shane beamer for that job yes i was about to mention <laughs> that damn i mean like justin fuente had not left and there's just this like assemble like news team assemble moment of the right. Shane Beamer fan club. It's just like I, I try to be so like look I've I have certainly tweeted and written about like got people that 
teams should hire people that I have a relationship with who I know. But I try to be as like I try to be as honest about those recommendations as possible because I see how it comes off. And obviously I've recommended or or, you know, talked about or written about people that I think would be great for jobs that I don't know too. And so, you know, I try to give both. And so, but so many of this like random media people like start tweeting approval of, of, of people and suggesting guys, it's so often just, you know, they're buddies and Shane Beaver's got a lot of buddies in the media Oh man, because there's a lot of that. And I, I mean, Virginia tech to hire a, a non-coordinator st- just strictly – not strictly. I, I mean, we heard all the, the reasons that the media folk were saying, but like just because he's Frank Beamer's son, because the last name is Beamer, man, that struck me as a little bit of a, a reach to just give do your buddy a solid. Like, come on. Let's, 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 get, let, let's, let's let Justin Fuente get out of town first and maybe acknowledge that Shane Beamer is – worth considering but hardly you know the the guy with no head coaching experience for a power five potentially powerhouse program is is should be like the leading candidate um you know who you know who uh was mentioned that i i've i would find not as a leading candidate but i would if i'm just looking at moves and i'm, I'm trying to figure out how i'm gonna uh like grade my expectations or change how I'm looking at the program moving forward. Number one was Tony Elliott. Now the, you know, from <coughs> running backs coach and co-offensive coordinator at Clemson. And number two was your boy, Will Healy. Uh, you saw Will, Will Healy as a good Virginia Tech candidate. You know, I, I, I didn't, I saw, I see, like see, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I look yeah. at it and I'm like, cause they just hired Mike Young uh, from Wofford for the basketball program after Buzz Williams left to go to Texas A&M. So it's almost like that the, the, the mindset of that athletic department to me does not, does not seem like they're going to cave to the, the Shane Beamer fan club in the media. It seems more like they'd be looking to make a hire for someone on the way up, not someone who's been around. He's like, Oh, you should hire Shane Beamer. Cause He's been at Georgia. He's been at Alabama. And of course his last name's Beamer, so you know he's got fans. <laughs> the 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 Healy thing is is really interesting. So he's the Charlotte head coach for those that don't know Will Healy well. And he was at Austin P before that. And um and disclaimer, like I I know Healy a little bit because I've I've you know written about him at Austin P before and things like that. So but man, like if he has another eight or nine win season at, at Charlotte in year two. I mean, just talk about a guy like at the coaching convention when you talk to people like that's just a really popular name among the kind of athletic director circle. And there's really not there's substance to it, but there's not a big body of work yet. And so I think the coaches are just looking for an excuse to hire him right now or, or ADs are. So if they have another good year next year. I mean, you could see his name float around with some big jobs. It, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how quickly that starts to rise. Coming up on the other side, some of the movement on the assistant coaching carousel, which moves raised eyebrows, which ones do we think are going to pay off? All that and more next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, all right. So number, where do you want to start here? Court coordinator combo. Yeah. So I, I thought like there's a, I thought in particular on the offensive side of the ball, there was a lot of interesting stuff that went down. I think maybe the most interesting hire is, is what Notre Dame did. The promotion of Tommy Reese. Yeah. A, a, a sub 30 year old guy, former player, never been a coordinator. Uh, they get rid of chip long as, as much for stylistic reasons as for production reasons and just sort of the, and, and, uh, you know, they, they claim to go through a exhaustive search and they, they pick their in-house guy, Tommy Reese, who's 28 or something. What do you think about that? Um, I'm trying to pull up Brandon Streeters. How old is Brandon Streeter? Cause he got a, he got a promotion. I don't think he got promoted to OC, but he just backfilled like that co-OC title. Right. But you know, I mean, that's still the Tony Elliott show. Right. I, I looked at Clemson and Notre Dame in a similar light where they felt really good about somebody they had on staff. Obviously Jeff Scott leaves because he gets the head coaching job at USF. That's very different than firing chip long, but still the same idea that <laughs> we're not trying to go seek somebody from the outside to totally change everything up. We feel like, we've got some really capable coaches internally to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, they, they've Clark Lee was an unknown to, to most national people when he was promoted from, from linebackers coach to D coordinator. That's worked out well. Um, I, like I tend to, I tend to, to be bought in on this. Um, look, no, no one knows better than Notre Dame what Tommy Reese is capable of. I mean, they're the ones that have been there. It's I think Brian Kelly understands the expectations here. I think they've made some moves to to I mean, they've revamped their their coaching staff to a degree to to reflect the expectations that he has. And look, I think if if they think that and and, and look, maybe it's just because he's sort of the Twitter generation and his age he is and the players that he's friends with and like the alumni and how close that they are probably to him. But it certainly got a resounding vote of confidence from like the Notre Dame former players. Um, well, he Lance, dunked all over Iowa State in the bowl game. Remember, yeah. he had co-OC duties just for the bowl game, and I kind of felt like coming out of that, I was like, well, I guess Tommy Reese is going to be the new offensive coordinator. <laughs> and Lance Taylor is, is the kind of the run game coordinator, and you know he's, he's a highly regarded guy too. So I, 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 I kind of like it. Just because I sort of, as long as you, as long as you're not being lazy, and I don't think this is Notre Dame being lazy. I think probably this is Notre Dame being like, you know what, we don't have to do this chip long thing. It's not a fit, and so we don't have to do this because we actually have a guy that we like. So, chip long, thanks for your efforts, but this isn't, you know, this just isn't really working, and we want it, to, we want it to be, we want the fit to be there, and and so. Let's roll with the guy we know, and um, so I think it's. I, I think ultimately it's a, it's a strong hire. You know, Indiana did something similar. Uh, Kalen DeBoer bounced, and they went in house with like an early thirties kid named or guy man named Nick Sheridan, who's was a college quarterback not that long ago himself. Um, and so it's it's a little bit of the trend, and I'm I'm kind of, kind of down with it. You know, if those guys have proven that they can work, because ultimately, like all this stuff is about, is I think intelligence is important. Like, how smart are you? How how much of a problem solver solver are you? And how how collaborative can you be? Like, so often these these coordinators will come in and they're just rule with an iron fist and like this is the way I've always done it. Like, get on board. Um, so I think that the kind of a younger generation of coordinators are going to be more collaborative anyways in a lot of ways so i i i, I kind of like it i'm kind of good with it i i was wondering if it wasn't 
like it, it can be age and that's might be some of it, especially with a, just an open mind to breaking the mold rather than doing it just the way that you were trained to do it or doing it the way that it's always been done. But I was also wondering too, if this is just proving, um, just in, in the, again, here, here, here I go with a big old broad stroke, but if we're living in the world where there's a Dabo Sweeney and there's an Ed Ogeron and there's these, these coaches that relationships and like relationships with players, relationships with your fellow coaches, relationships with high school coaches, if we're looking more for leaders that are not coming up because of what they can do on a chalkboard, but by what they can do as a communicator and as a motivator, then like the doors open. Like there's to your point about Will Healy. I mean, isn't Will Healy getting all this? Um, you, you, he's got a small sample size, but everyone loves him because you talk to him and you're like, this guy has leadership intangibles. This guy is a great communicator. He is a great motivator. And I don't think that there's an age that you could put on that. I think that when you're talking about motivating 18 to 22 year olds, I mean, you probably only need to be 25. Like you just need to be a little bit older. Bruce Feldman was talking about the relationship that Joe Brady had with the wide receivers at LSU. And he described it like a big brother, little brother relationship. And he was with the team on the, on one of the meeting nights before the national championship game. And he described like Justin Jefferson's just sitting there with his arm around Joe Brady throughout the entire meeting. Like when you, when you are able to motivate, inspire, teach and lead, that doesn't require 20 years in the business. And I think that now the, the, the college game is so flexible, malleable and versatile. There's not one way to do things. There's tons of ways to do things and it's always changing and evolving. You are looking for, as you mentioned, problem solvers and motivators. And, and it's just, you, you got to throw out whatever you thought was the, the right career path for finding successful coaches. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, right. Like it's, 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 maturity and especially when you're talking about a, a roster in Notre Dame where you got you know your quarterback coming back who's, who's an upperclassman and you've got uh, a mature roster um with with leaders in there you know that's I think that's that's he can run with that um so I was I was interested in that you know another interesting one to me was Rhett Lashley to Miami what do you think about that one not convinced yet that Rhett Lashley is going to be the, I mean, it's Rhett Lashley. I'm not down on it because Rhett Lashley did good work at SMU this year. And I kind of liked that story. I think I framed it here on the podcast. I definitely talked about it on HQ. Just the idea that, you know, Sonny Dykes and Rhett Lashley and Shane Bouchelle, like all these figures that had kind of started at other places. They all came together like a, a little bit of some, some LSU Ed Odron, Joe Burrow type flavor there, but still, cool story. SMU was pretty good this season. The offense was, was strong. And I thought that, you know, Lashley deserves some of the credit there. I do not at all think that Lashley is going to provide all of the answers to the problems at Miami, which probably exist beyond who's just coaching the offense. Yeah. But at least like at least Miami is sort of this is like when was the last time truly that Miami had a c- coach? Not the last time. Like, ha- I guess the better question is: Has Miami ever had a coach that was offensively spread in philosophy? Well, like, Dan- it's twenty. It's, it's twenty twenty, and has Miami, the flagship program in South Florida of all places has never been like spread centric in terms of its offensive system. And and it's been I mean, running, of it, all the places yeah, to not yeah, be spread centric. Yeah. Like that's the one that should have been the, the, at the forefront of it. And so I think at least I, I'm, I'm optimistic that like Miami's not trying to outthink itself and like, just let's just get some skill players and get them in space. And I think Rhett Lashley, I base this on his SMU background, not his like Auburn background, but like you know, he I think he he's he has an offense that can be quarterback friendly, um, and so 
I'm I'm going to be opt I'm optimistic. I mean, shoot, we're you know we're optimistic on all these hires for the most part, but I I think that this could be this could be a good one. All right. Well, I will say I am less optimistic. I think that if Miami is successful offensively, it probably has to do more with just some some personnel or deep attitude or so. Like there's, I I believe that or I sense that there might be just some fundamentally broken like software, you know, like, uh, I, uh, I hope the statute of limitations is up on this, but when I was in high school, I used like LimeWire and Kazaa to obtain lots and lots of video and audio editing software. And in doing that, I put so much spyware on my family's computer. <laughs> it did not run right when I left for college. Like it, like no one could figure out why this machine was just broken. And they took it into like a computer service place. And they're like, listen, I, I, I think you just got to strip this thing. Like we just cannot clean this hard drive enough. There are too many bugs and Trojans and malware and spyware that have been packaged along with all of the illegally downloaded software that <coughs> your child may or may not have had. Now I made some, some, some fire, terrible songs and, and some great <laughs> videos with that illegal software, but you know, it, I just, I really feel like the, they need a new hard drive at Miami. And I don't, I don't know how that happens, but the losing that Miami has done has been so bad that it just, and, and this is a team that when I say the losing that Miami has done, I'm talking about blowing a double digit lead in the fourth quarter to North Carolina and like several other opponents losing 14 to zero in a bowl game to Louisiana tech. Like the, the way that the seasons have gone the last couple of years, basically ever since that 10 and 0 start, like that 10 and 0 start, everything was great. But since then, man, it has been some just befuddling failure to capitalize on rosters and depth charts that going into the season and going into the game, you you loved. I mean, the analytics loved Miami. Remember how long like S and P Plus yeah. and everything else would hold on to it, but right. yet, but yet they were losing games. And so, if we're if it's not going to be on paper or in the numbers, then it's intangible and it's like in their soul. And so, I just if Rhett Lashley could be part of the solution, but I just don't think switching to a spread is going to be the solution for a team that has been statistically and analytically much better than it has performed on the field. So you just sound like it didn't matter what the OC hire was going to be. You you were going to be skeptical yes. until things start to click on the field. Yes. Going to gonna yeah. have to see it. Going to have to be proven wrong on this one. Sounds like a Manny Diaz problem. Yeah. I it, I tell you, it started to get hit me um, during one of those post-game press conferences. Maybe it was after the FIU loss. Yeah. Which, remember the FIU loss when they just didn't show up after an entire week off? To play this team that was just going to be fired up and ready to uh, to take you down in Marlins Park. No, I'm I he when he said this is the darkest day in the history of Miami football, and in his eyes he looked like he was lost. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that was a defeated man that day. Yeah, it was worse than I thought. Um, so yeah, I so, sorry to hijack that with my my Miami take, but no, that's hey man, that that's um, that's all fair. I think that's the hey, Miami has got it's bigger than just scheme. You know, I, I think ultimately what it is, I can't remember if I read this somewhere or just heard it or I feel like it was reported. I feel like that there's just like people, people were saying that the players like to like the party too much or something like this idea. I think Miami, the, 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 the image of Miami has overtaken what it means to be a good football team. Like, People want to go to Miami to just flash the U and and sort of like live in the wake and and sort of uh, of of like the Miami greats, not understanding that those Miami greats were greats because not not because they talk talk trash, but because they like ha- were maniacal in the way they worked and like prepared and how much they loved playing and competing and like. That's that's what's missing in Miami. Like they got to get guys that love football, that want to get down there and just push each other, 
uh, and then you know the the trash talk will take care of itself. Uh, I'm working what, on a similar theory, by the way, on uh, for Texas and USC. Sure. I, I just wondered if you, you're there's Austin is awesome, and Los Angeles has obviously got a ton going on, and I think just being on the football team there leads to having a pretty good life. And if you've got a a pretty good life around the community and the the city and town produce a, a lot of great fun stuff to do the the hurt that might come with falling failing to meet expectations does not hurt so much that it can't be covered up with all the joy and happiness you can get from just being on the football team in that area and then my account like my compliment to that by turning it on the other side is there is not much going on in Norman Oklahoma <laughs> like, like, there is the Oklahoma is not only excited to be Oklahoma football players, but they ain't got much else going on. So they might as well put in that work to try and make sure that they're going to win the big 12 again. Yeah, I think that, and, and look, Kirby is even like trying, trying to preempt that at Georgia. Yeah. Talking his, about uh, the disease. disease or whatever <laughs> stuff, you know, like that's, he's almost like sees it from a distance. Like let's, we, we're not going to be this, like we're not going to be one of these teams that just gets good players and people are excited because of our recruiting rankings and all the things that football can bring to you and not love winning and competing. And, and like, it's almost like he's like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. It didn't, we're not there yet, but I'm not going to even let us start to sniff getting to that point. And so, um, yeah, like it's a, it's a tough place. It's a tough, it's, it seems to be a tough place to dig out of once you get into that. Um, okay. So we've got Washington, uh, Mike Bobo at South Carolina. I'm going to say that's uninspired. Will you convince me otherwise? I mean, it's, it sounds inspiring when he's, you getting the Colorado state head coach who put together pretty good offenses there. Um, it's less inspiring when you think about like what he was as Georgia's offensive coordinator, which was never like, he was never a guy that like anyone was super scared of. I don't think. I, I think the bigger story on that isn't isn't necessarily Mike Bobo. I mean, I don't know if this is the bigger story, but I think this is an important story, is him bringing Colin Hill with him, the Colorado State quarterback who's uh, transferring to South Carolina. He's, he's dealt with injuries the last two years. If he's healthy, that kid is really good. Okay. And so I, I, I think that that's – I mean, I don't think he came there to be a backup. I think he came there to be a starter, and so Lil Helensky's got some challenge. I, I absolutely think he does. Like Colin Hill's good. Like I'm not just like he's he could play in the NFL. So that that's going to be something to watch. I mean, it, it matters how healthy he is, but I'm just telling you, man. Like that kid, it would be a quality starter for a lot of these. LSU's of the world that are looking for the next guy up at quarterback or looking in the grad transfer market. And he chose South Carolina and, uh, and Mike Bobo brought him there like that. You know, you tell me they didn't have some conversations about like off the record, like this is wh- wh- how I see you here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to be their quarterback next year. What about Washington going to get John Donovan as its new offensive coordinator? So that was a, that one was a shock. Um, Reminder, so John Donovan has been the assistant running backs coach for, I think, the Jags? Is that right? The Jaguars? Pretty sure it's been the Jaguars. Um, Prior to that, he was the offensive coordinator at Penn State. Was replaced by Joe Moorhead when Penn State needed a a boost, a jump start. Prior to that, he was at Vanderbilt under James Franklin where, you know, they had a couple nine-win seasons and everything. So, here in Nashville, I saw him up close. I mean, he was what they did with duct tape at Vanderbilt, you know, and 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 Bobby Pins to try to put together an offense around Jordan Matthews was very impressive. Didn't quite get it done at Penn State. Um, I would I would imagine that Washington fans consider this hire uninspiring, but uh, you know what, like. The guy's has had success at a, at a high level. Um, he just didn't live up to sort of the the task at Penn State. But I thought it was a, it was definitely an interesting kind of off the wall hire for Jimmy Lake. Was I mean was there even a consideration of retaining Bush Hamden or when you like when you promote internally? 
is that one of those like he's he's going to choose who who sticks around or not and Bush didn't make the cut? Well, I just think Jimmy Lake was like, look, there's like we've we've got issues on on, on offense. Agree. This is my deal. Yeah, I'm not going to come in and just be like manning Chris Peterson's operation. Like I'm not just going to like I'm going to I'm going to rework this and 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 get my group in. And so he's I think he's sh- he shook things up even off the field. Like they they made some moves in their personnel department and things like that. And so. Um, I just think this is him going and getting his guy. I mean, he kept Pete Kwiatkowski as his D coordinator, which makes sense. Um, but Bush Hamden would wasn't really getting it done on offense. Like I think objectively, you could argue Chris Peterson was needed to make a move too. I agree, a hundred percent. Any any of the other coordinator hires before we get out of here? Uh nah. I mean Rutgers. Rutgers went and got a Princeton guy, Sean Gleason. He was from Oklahoma State. He was a Princeton coordinator year before that, and now he's he got their the Princeton offensive line coach to come with him. Uh, so, you know, the Ivy League guys, Ivy League guys are getting uh, starting to get those looks. Hey, were we right? Eighteen eighty eight is the Yale team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. Look, there's been a lot of Yale teams through the years now, Chip. So, like, they're not the only Yale team. But, but, but that the, was the Yale the, team I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, <laughs> the Yale team that is up against 2019 LSU for best team of all time. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, he is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back beginning of next week. We got mailbag episodes. We're going to break down winners and losers from the NFL draft early entry deadline. And tick, tick, tick. I'm going to get you set having an eye on National Signing Day, all that and more. Barton, thank you very much. Zerf. series on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.